Chapter 9 of Priests on Horseback, Father Farmer, 1720 to 1786, by Eva K. Betts. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter 9 April Storm. After the flat, rolling country of the southern part of the colony, the hills and streams of northern New Jersey were beautiful, but, at the same time, trying to a horseman. There was no road to Green Pond, toward which Father Farmer was heading, so he was obliged to use trails. He meant to go to Green Pond, where there were two or three Catholic families, on to Charlottenburg, which had several more, and then take the road to Sterling, with its ironworks. He did not know how much of a flock he would find there, but he had gathered from his Philadelphia friends that many of the men were Catholics. He forded the little Whippany River without difficulty, and the Perry Penny, or Parsley Penny, as some called it. Now he was on a forest trail and climbing. Sometimes, on the road, he would read his breviary as the horse jogged along, but that was not possible here. He must be constantly on the alert, lest a low branch sweep him from the saddle, or the horse stumble on a stone. He came to a little group of houses, not enough to be called a settlement, just four or five quite close together for safety's sake. He would have liked to pause to fill his water bottle, for the day had turned hot now that the sun was up, and it had been airless in the woods, but he decided against it. I'll come to a spring or a clear stream soon, he assured himself. There must be many in these hills. The old anti-Catholic laws were still alive to the people in this area, he had been warned. In fact, it had been suggested that he might be wise to wear Quaker garb hereabouts. Few are themselves Quakers, he had been told but they have great respect for them. John Woolman, the Quaker anti-slavery preacher, tramped New Jersey some time ago. He met with surprising success. Many people freed their slaves. Others treated them as indentured servants, and allowed them to work out their freedom. Woolman is still remembered with honor. I am glad he accomplished so much, Father Farmer had answered, but I think I will not go as a Quaker. The Lord will watch over me. Though he was confident of divine assistance, he nevertheless would not run unnecessary risks. So he passed the little groups of houses and pushed on. But a well-sweep he saw in the yard of one of the homes reminded him how thirsty he was. He sympathized with his horse, too. The poor beast does all the work, he thought, while I am carried in comfort and ease. The houses in this area, Father Farmer saw, were quite different from those around Greenwich and Cohansey Bridge. There, the larger houses were of brick, often laid in such a way as to make a pleasing pattern on the outside of the house. Sometimes a soft blue-gray brick was used, as well as the usual red. The priest smiled as he remembered one house he had seen, where a happy bridegroom had set his initials, and those of his bride, in blue brick, on the walls of their new house. Here, the houses of the wealthier farmers were built of heavy-cut brownstone. Few were more than a story and a half high, while those in South Jersey, belonging to men of means, were often three stories. Here the low-side roofs were gambrel, there they were a sharp, pure Gothic. Each group of settlers brings its own love memories from the fatherland, the priest thought, and so feels at home in the new land. He suddenly became aware that his horse had stopped. Coming back to the world around him, he realized that they were standing on a sort of natural culvert. A spring which bubbled up on one side of the path, had dug a passage underground, 
to reappear some distance away on the other side. "'It's fortunate you keep your eyes open,' said the priest to his horse as he slipped from the saddle. His voice startled a flicker from a nearby bush, and she flew off, complaining loudly that the place was becoming crowded, that there was no longer peace in the forest. Father Farmer led his horse down the small declivity which edged the spring. He filled his water bottle before he let his mount drink. There now, he said, stir up all the mud you want. The horse played for a minute in the clear coolness, snorting and blowing, dipping his muzzle and then throwing his head back as if trying to give himself a shower. Then he drank. Father Farmer did not let him have his fill, because they still had far to go but he let him have enough to quench his thirst to some extent. The horse fussed a bit and disagreed when his rider assured him he had had enough. But finally he was persuaded. The priest remounted, and they continued on their way to Green Pond. The shadows had suddenly moved across the lane, now, and were growing long. Suddenly it was dust. Shall I camp here for the night? The priest wondered. Or am I near enough to push on? It was well over a year since he had last been in this area, and in a year the rank growth of untouched woodlands can change the scenery in obscure old landmarks. So, although he knew he was headed in the right direction, he was unsure how much longer his trip would be. A glow crept across the sky. If the night was to be moonlight, he would keep going at least until he came to open country, for he knew that these woods sheltered panthers and wildcats, which would not hesitate to attack a sleeping man. In fact, it seemed possible that there were some nearby now, for the horse, with its sharper senses, seemed to get the scent of danger. Nostrils dilated, ears flickering nervously, immensed along as if ready to shy or bolt at the first strange noise. The noise was not long in coming. An owl, ready for its nocturnal hunting trip, hoo-hoo-ed from a nearby tree. The horse leaped convulsively and tore down the trail in a frenzy of fear. Rocking and swaying, Father Farmer managed to keep his seat. He tried to rein in his mount and spoke soothingly to him, but, deaf with terror and insensible to the pressure of the bit in his mouth, the horse dashed on. The priest said a prayer that he would not be thrown from the saddle, and that his saddle roll with its precious contents would remain safe. They left the woods. Now the trail had widened into a lane with open fields on either side. Ahead, Father Farmer could see a small, moving light. As he drew closer, he saw that the glow came from a lantern carried by a man crossing a farmyard. The horse was exhausted and over his fright, and allowed himself to be brought to a halt. "'Who rides there?' called the man, and what is the emergency? Father Farmer patted the horse's neck, gentling and soothing him. "'A traveler, Mr. Farmer from Philadelphia,' he said. "'There is no emergency.' except in the mind of my horse. An owl's hoot frightened him in the woods, and he had the bit in his teeth before I could act. The man with the lantern walked over. Suddenly, without warning, he swung his lantern at the horse's head. The startled beast, not yet fully calmed down, reared and showed every sign of running again. Father Farmer, both hands on the reins, fought angrily for control. The man who had caused the commotion kept his lantern up, and seemed to be inspecting the priest. Satisfied with what he saw, he put his lantern on the ground, stepped to the animal's head, took the reins in a firm grip, and soothed him. "'I'm sorry I had to do that,' he said when the flurry was over, 
but I had to make sure both your hands were occupied while I looked to see if you had a musket or pistols. We do not have many night riders hereabouts, and when we do, they are not often on peaceful errands. He stroked the horse's nose, scratched his ears, and calmed him skillfully. I hope my explanation is accepted, sir. I understand, said Father Farmer. I cannot have presented a welcome sight flying out of the dark woods at this hour of night. Is there something I can do for you? Can I offer a night's shelter? Thank you for the offer, but I think I have not much further to go. I am looking for Jacob Watcher's house, and although I haven't been in these parts for some time, I have a feeling it should be quite near here. Are you a relative? A close friend? The man asked. It seemed an odd question, but, after a moment, Father Farmer decided to answer it. I knew him long ago. I see him rarely, but am very fond of and interested in him. The man with the lantern hesitated before speaking. Jacob Watcher is dead, he said. A copperhead snake bit him last spring, and he had no knife with him to incise the wound. His wife and son? asked Father Farmer. She had a sister in Providence Plantations, I think, and she has gone to live there. I bought this place from her. Father Farmer was at a loss. Watcher was the only name he knew in this area, although he was certain that there were other Catholic families thereabouts. He saw no way to get the information he wanted. Let me give you shelter for the night, said the man with the lantern. I am Matthew Savage, Mr. Mr. Farmer, said the priest. I would be grateful if you would let me pasture my horse. He has had a long day, and would, I think, like to rest and have an early morning graze. And you? I'll share the pasture, or use a hayloft, if you have it. You may do either, or we will welcome you to a pallet indoors, if you care for that. Father Farmer started to speak, but was interrupted. Perhaps you'd better come in. My wife would think it most inhospitable to let you stay outdoors. As he spoke, the house door opened. Matthew, what's keeping you? Are you all right? Has anything happened? Matthew walked over to reassure his worried wife. Father Farmer, leading his horse, followed. Mrs. Savage, as her husband had predicted, was disturbed by the idea of a guest, even an unexpected and uninvited one, being left to sleep in the field. But Father Farmer did not like taking his saddle roll into a stranger's house, although sometimes he was obliged to, nor did he care to leave it unguarded in the open all night. So with charm and skill he finally convinced the worried lady that a night in the fine air under the high-sailing moon was just what he wanted. Lying in the sweet-smelling grass, he watched his horse, free from the saddle roll, luxuriously shake and graze for a while. Then the beast settled to sleep, and before he knew it, Father Farmer slept too. A red, threatening sunrise wakened him. Even after the sun had climbed past the rim of the hills, there was no breeze. The air was still, and the birds hushed as if they sensed trouble. There were no signs of life around the house yet, so Father Farmer snatched the few minutes of solitude to read his office. Awake at last? Mr. Savage's cheery voice startled the priest. Oh, yes, I thought you were sleeping. A farmer's day starts long before sunup, or have you never lived on a farm? I've never made my home on one, but I have visited them often. I did know that a farmer's day begins early, but I suppose that sometimes exceptions might be made. 
Well, this can't be one. I have a sour gum tree I want to take down, and I'm anxious to do it before we have a storm that might topple it. Seeing that he was expected to do so, Father Farmer fell into step with Mr. Savage, and they walked toward the house. Mr. Savage explained that he had a good apple orchard, and each fall, when the traveling cider press came along, he made enough cider to carry them through the winter. But my two barrels have split and become useless, he said, so I hope to get two new ones from the old sour gum tree. That tree, when it grows old, he went on, starts rotting at the core. So if the tree is cut down with its trunk intact, it has only to be sawn into proper lengths. Then the rotted wood can be scraped away, and fine barrels are the result. We had a good staver in Hooper living near us once, he said, but when Newark offered to present six acres of land free to any artisan who settled there, he left us to make barrels in town. There was a good rabbit stew for breakfast, and pumpkin bread to sop up the gravy. Mr. Savage drank cider, and his wife had brewed some dried herbs into a sort of thick tea. Neither appealed to their guest, who contented himself with water. Suddenly the sun, which had been pouring in the window, was shut off as if a curtain had been drawn. A low wind sprang up, whirling little clouds of dust along the ground. From the field Father Farmer heard his horse, snorting in fright. "'It looks like a bad storm. We have them in April and May,' said Mr. Savage. "'Perhaps I'd better saddle up and be on my way. I'd like to get some of the road behind me while I can.' "'You'd best get your horse out from under those trees and into the barn while you can,' answered Mr. Savage. "'I have a horse in the north field, and I'll run for him.' "'We lost our best horse last year when he sheltered under a tree in a tempest,' explained Mrs. Savage, "'and my two hens had their feathers singed.' Mr. Savage and Father Farmer ran to get their horses. They led the animals to the barn, put each in a stall, and hurried back to the house.' The heavy black clouds now hung so low they seemed to rest on the treetops, and the thunder, far off only a few minutes ago, now was very near. The wind had risen to fury, but no rain fell. "'I don't like dry storms,' said Mrs. Savage, as the men re-entered the house. "'I'm afraid of them.' "'This may pass those over,' said her husband, but he sounded doubtful. He had hardly finished speaking when a roar of thunder deafened them, and at the same instant the room blazed with light. That struck nearby. All three people in the kitchen ran to the window. A tall sycamore tree in the field near the barn had been hit, and running down the tree to bury itself in the ground, the lightning had only charred the wood, but it had set fire to a last year's bird's nest and a branch high from the ground. Nest and branch were blazing. As they watched, a gust of wind ripped the weakened branch from the tree and hurled it, blazing, on the roof of the barn. "'The horses! We must get them out!' Mr. Savage ran to the door. "'Maria, you and Mr. Farmer get the horses out. I will climb to the roof of the barn and shove that branch off. If the shingles catch fire, the whole place will go.' He raced out of the house to the barn. "'He can't get up there! He can't climb!' Mrs. Savage clutched Father Farmer's arm. He broke his shoulder some time ago, and it's been stiff ever since. He'll hurt himself again. Father Farmer hurried to the barn. Help your wife with the horses, he commanded brusquely. There was so much authority in his voice that Mr. Savage did not hesitate, but at once ran in to help with the plunging, terrified beasts. 
They were panicked by the wind and thunder and did not understand that the stable was now more dangerous than the storming world outside. Mrs. Savage had succeeded in getting a rope halter on Father Farmer's mount, but pull and tug as she might, she could not get him out the door. "'Give me the rope. You halter our horse,' shouted her husband. Father Farmer, meanwhile, had swung the barn door wide. The X-beams which framed it were shallow, but he managed to get finger and toe-holds and hoist himself to the top of the door. As Mr. Savage ran back to help remove his own horse from the barn, the priest called to him, Hand up a pole of some sort. Mr. Savage snatched the long rake from the corner of the barn and put it into the reaching fingers. Carefully, Father Farmer stood balanced on the top of the swaying barn. Then, with the litheness of a cat, he leaped to the barn roof. An active life and long hours in the saddle had made him strong. Leaning a little against the wind, he inched his way along until he was within reach of the burning branch. Carefully, he hooked the rake under it and sent it a river of sparks to the ground. A few of the shingles on which it had rested were smoldering, but not yet aflame. With rake and shoe he removed all traces of fire. It seemed to take him a long time, but it was only a few minutes before he let himself down and entered the barn. Mr. and Mrs. Savage turned blank faces toward him. "'For what you did we are grateful,' Mr. Savage's voice sounded strained. "'Your saddle roll fell open when we tried to move it, we saw we found are you a roman priest mrs savage could hardly form the words end of chapter nine recording by maria therese